This is Solve It for Kids. Hello, my amazing and curious friends. My name is Jennifer, the Dean of all things STEM and STEAM, and this is Solve It for Kids, the podcast that gives kids and families a peek inside the real world of scientists, engineers, and experts as they solve problems in their jobs using creativity, cooperation, and critical thinking. And now please welcome to the show my podcast partner, Galactic Space Geek, Jeff Ganya. Hello, Jennifer, and hello, listeners. Today is going to be a very interesting episode, and I think a lot of people are going to be listening very closely to try to get a solution for a problem that a lot of us don't understand. Yeah, exactly. So what problem are we solving today? How do you get rid of bad breath? do you get rid of bad breath? Now, this is a very important answer, I think. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Who is our guest today, Jeff? Our guest today is the wonderful Dr. Mel Rosenberg, Professor Emeritus at Tel Aviv University and co-founder of Our Books. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mel. Thank you so much, Jennifer and Jeff. It's a great honor to be here. Well, we are thrilled to have you, and we are excited to talk about chemistry and science and all of those different things. So I always like to start with, did you always know ever since you were a kid that you wanted to study chemistry and be in science? No. Actually, (laughs) when I... (laughs) We always okay. get the no. It's funny. I love the no. It's great. No, no, I'm, I'm going to tell it the way I think it, it is. When I was in my early 20s, I began to write children's stories. Ah. So as a young adult, my dream was to write for children. Yes. And as you know, I've published many books and yes. one just came out. And I'm co-founder of our books. We have over a quarter of a million ebooks, most of them written by children. Oh, wow. oh my goodness. And they're all free. And I've I've written three Ted Ed the animated scripts oh, that have fantastic. been seen by over over 12 million viewers, many of them children and young adults. Wow. So I love addressing young people and I'm a 5-year-old at heart. <laughs> Excellent. So, there you go. We love that. So so when I was young, I really wanted to be a jazz musician. And it's a children's book writer. But because of all kinds of things we don't have time to get into, um, (laughs) I continued in university to study chemistry and then biochemistry and then microbiology. Mm -hmm. And I ended up after my doctoral thesis at the dental school at Tel Aviv University. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. If you knew everything, you wouldn't have to have me on the show. (laughs) That's true. That's very true. And I became the the microbiologist of the dental school. Now, why do dental schools need microbiologists? Good question. Yeah, well, we think that (laughs) most of the problems in the mouth, dental caries, cavities, gum disease, and bad breath are caused by bacteria in the mouth. Now, that isn't to to say that we don't need bacteria in the mouth. We do. Right, 
Right. But sure. not the bad kind. Not the kind. bad kind. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not too many in general. Yes. And when I got to the dental school, I looked around and there were people studying the bacteria that make cavities that create acid from sugar right. you know, on our teeth. Okay. You know, the mutants streptococci and lactobacilli. Mm. And there was lots of research going on. I couldn't find my place there. I tried. Right. And then ma many people were studying gum disease. Gum disease uh -huh. is the disease oh, of the yes. soft tissues. Mm -hmm. You know, the tooth has a root and it, it can come loose if the bacteria cause an inflammation yeah. in the gums. Right. But there was lots yes. of people studying that. Okay. There were very few people, very few people studying bad breath. But <laughs> I, as you might, you might imagine, imagine that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, it's but it's that, not the it's not the glamorous stuff to study, right? No, not at all. But it, it didn't even happen that way. I had a buddy named Dr. Erwin Weiss, and we were doing research on bacteria that stick to oil. Now, why oh. is that important? That's important because in oil spills, you can use bacteria. Oh to degrade the oil drop. Yes. And yes. in order, okay. and, and you know, bac bacteria, they oxidize the oil and they use it for, for energy and for the carbon in their cells. Yes. Um, and they need to stick to the oil droplets in order to eat the oil. Yes. Yes, that makes sense. So when I went to the dental school, I said, let's see whether bacteria from the mouth stick to oil droplets. Now, you might yeah. ask, that's a little, it's a little bit crazy, but the bacteria in the mouth have to stick to the mouth. Sure. You know, we have hundreds, hundreds of different kinds, species of bacteria in the mouth. But among those, almost none of them live in our stomach or our intestine. The stomach kills ah. them, really. And oh, only because of the high pH in the stomach, the acidic content, it kills it? The low pH, and, and they kill the bacteria. And only okay. about 20 can survive in the gut, in the intestine. Oh. Of the hundreds, maybe thousands of species. Okay. Wow. So the bacteria that live in the mouth, they have to hang on to something. They have to stick <laughs> to teeth or to the cells, you know, our cells, our tongue right. cells. They have to live in the little crevices in the tongue. They have to stick to the cheek cells. Otherwise, they get washed away. And they get washed away anyway when we swallow and right. we slough off. You know, we're always sloughing the skin in our mouth. Sure. And like, yeah. So you have like a thousand bacteria stuck to a cell. And they think that they're doing well. And then the cell, we swallow it, it goes down and they're gone. You guys are missing all of his hand gestures. He's he's making yeah. this look very visual. It's very cool. Absolutely. But, 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 but on the teeth, bacteria also stick to each other. Oh. So um, okay. they're busy sticking to things. It turns out that one of the mechanisms the bacteria use to stick in the mouth is similar to the mechanisms that other bacteria use to stick to oil droplets in order to eat it. Ah, and, and these, are, these are called hydrophobic interaction. Okay. So we and other people started to look at whether bacteria from the mouth stick to oil droplets, just like petroleum degrading bacteria. That's and what brilliant. did we find? What did we find? That they do. That's brilliant. So, I mean, that's, so that's they, a great deduction, I think. Well, okay. I'll well, take a I mean... Crap. I'll take a no, little credit. I mean, just taking one area and then making the assumption to the other. I think that's really cool because that's what okay, science but, is but about. Jennifer, what, what I teach my students is that creativity is not thinking beyond the box, thinking outside the box. Okay. But what 
inventors and scientists and creative people do is really they think between boxes. They oh, connect boxes. Wow, I love so that. In our case, it was like I love that. But because I I was had the petroleum microbiology background. Right. And I came to the dental school. So it, it was not that brilliant. It was almost a, you know. Anyway, so Ervin <laughs> and I met in the hall, and Ervin says to me, I got this great idea. I say, No, 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 you shut up for a minute. I got this great idea. What's your idea? <laughs> He said, let's make a toothpaste with oil and you brush your teeth and the bacteria stick to the oil thinking that it's the teeth and you rinse them away. Oh, my gosh. How, however, however, we couldn't get a patent on the toothpaste. Hmm. So then we said, okay. So, so scientists, you know, when they're thwarted, when one window is closed, they look for <laughs> yes. another window. Right. So we said, okay, let's invent the mouthwash. So eventually... Oh. We invented a mouthwash, and you can't see it, but I'm showing you the back part of it here. And it's got oil in it, and you mix it in order to use it. And That's we cool. worked on this for many years, and it actually became a product in many countries, which is wow. which is great, you know, to, to be a scientist that has developed something from the laboratory to the shelf in the That's pharmacy. not easy to do. Sure. It, it wasn't easy. We needed a lot of yep. stubbornness and luck. But that's not even the subject today, because what happened is we went to a pharmaceutical house and they said, well, how do you know if it works? Oh. How do you know whether it really reduces bad breath? Fair sure. question. Yeah. If you're a pharmaceutical company, it's the fairest of questions. Yes. So Ervin didn't want to get really involved in bad breath. And I, <laughs> I, un I understand him. He went to NIH to do a postdoc and he left me with all the smelly stuff. <laughs> and um, how are you going to study bad breath? Yeah. How do you measure bad breath? Well, you have to get people that have bad breath to come in, right? Yeah. So we got 75 people with and without <laughs> bad breath who thought they had bad breath to come in. And we offered them the following. You say, come in. We can't pay you. But we will tell you whether you have bad breath or not. <laughs> but, okay. but still... But still, how do you measure it? So it right. turns out that the way to measure bad breath is actually to smell somebody. Sure. So as an odor judge, somebody comes to me <laughs> and they open their mouth and they go, ah. <laughs> and I stick my nose in their breath <laughs> and I give them a score between zero and five. Oh zero is sure. I can't smell anything or I have a bad cold. And the five is the kind of bad breath that you want to die afterwards. <laughs> and over the course of my career, we spent a lot of time trying to invent machines that would help us. For example, we took an instrument that measures sulfur in the air. Okay. And one of the, one of the molecules or the several molecules that we associate with bad breath contain sulfur, just like the rotten smell of eggs, which is also created by bacteria. Right. So we we developed applications of instruments that were used for other methods, for, uh, for other reasons, like for monitoring air in the environment. Right. And we showed that they could pick up small amounts of sulfur from people's mouths. Wow. And uh, that, hel that helped us a lot because then we could use less odor judges and more machines. I love the odor okay. judges. I love that. <laughs> and. I ended up smelling, I think, between 5,000 and 10,000 mouths. Oh, my goodness. Um, oh my and gosh. because I, 
then people wanted us to smell their armpits. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kids, don't ever let anyone tell you <laughs> science isn't glamorous. <laughs> That's correct. So I smelled a few hundred armpits. We developed a soap. We smelled several hundred shoes. We developed a shoe spray. So did all of the products contain oil? No. So the soap did contain something like oil, yes. Okay. Um, okay. And, and the shoe spray, it was just an upside down can. So that like the nozzle is at the bottom. So you stick it into the shoe and you go, and it sprays like upside down within the can. Oh, okay. Okay. And we sold a few thousand of those. And then somebody in Japan asked us to ship by air 10,000 bottles. Whoa. Yeah. But what happened during the airplane ride was that many of the bottles came loose, jiggle, jiggle, jiggle. And a lot of the contents spilled out. They kind of popped open. Oh, no. They told me that it, the plane smelled of foot spray for years. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and we never got another order. So one of the lessons that I learned was, okay. if you're a scientist, be a scientist. Don't manufacture things. Leave the, <laughs> okay. Leave the manufacturing to people who realize that when you have a can, and the can has like a closure. Right. The closure has to really seal well yes. under conditions where it's bouncing around. And, you know, in the airplane, the atmospheric conditions are different. Yes. Sure. There was more pressure inside the bottle than in the hold. Yes. So okay. jiggle, 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 less atmospheric <laughs> pressure. Boom. <laughs> oh. So I, I had a up and down career as an inventor. We did invent a few things that became products. But the bad breath I found very intriguing because bad breath is a very human condition. Yes. Most people who have bad breath don't even know. Correct. And one of the first patients, and then so people started to come to see me because they'd gone to dentists and they'd gone to physicians and nobody could help them. And that okay. was because bad breath is not exactly dental. It's not exactly medical. Yes. It's not exactly psychological. It's in between. Okay. Again, it, it's in between disciplines. So a dentist would send their patients to physicians. Physicians would send the patients to dentists. And they would both right. send them to gastroenterologists, yes. thinking that bad breath is from the stomach. Yes. And of course, that's a mistake because it hardly ever is. Yes. And the thing about this is, though, is, is even though we were kind of chuckling about the whole odor judges, I mean, think about it. You were actually, you know, helping people who had a condition that they couldn't get, you know, get help any other way. So... That right there is amazing. And although I realized that as a scientist, you said it didn't always work out to make the product. I mean, the fact that you tried and you had this, you know, amazing result, mm -hmm. you know, was wonderful. But I have a question, though. So when okay. you did the zero to five, right? Yeah. Did you notice, like, did someone that had a five originally and then they used your mouthwash? Could you tell? that mm -hmm. their breath went down to zero or one or something like that? Yes, that was in another study. That's yes, awesome. uh, the mouthwash improved bad breath from between eight to 20 hours. Wow. Oh, wow. Uh, and okay. it, it became a leading product in the United Kingdom. And it still is sold there after 30 years. 
Well, that's, that's fantastic. Amazing. Yeah, that's fantastic. Every time I go to London, I go into the super, uh, what do you call them? The pharmacies. Yes. And I sometimes I call over one of the salespeople. I say, see that? I invented it. Once they brought a policeman to escort me from the pharmacy. Why? They didn't they believe think you were crazy? Me. Yeah. <laughs> and once a cashier said to me, I said, you know, because I always buy the mouthwash, right? Sure. And of course, I always say, hey, you know, I invented this. And she looked at me and she said, that's okay, sir, but you still have to pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you asked me regarding the diagnosis. Yes. Yes, because I'm a PhD. I'm a doctor, but I'm not a real doctor. I'm not a physician. Right. So for somebody who's a microbiologist to work on a problem where you can interface between the physicians and help people is the real gift. And yes, people would come to me and I would try and help them. And, you know, if you've smelled thousands of people, yes. then very often just by the odor, you can tell what's going on. Wow. And bad breath can come from the mouth. It can come from the nose. There are different odors involved. It can come from the tongue. It can come from in between the teeth. It can come from dentures. Wow. Once in a blue moon, it can come from systemic diseases, which are general diseases of the body. It can right. come from okay. foreign bodies. The kids stuck up their nose, like Kleenex and corn. And we had a girl who stuck a plastic bead up her nose when she was young. Oh, no. And we, and we found it when she was 26. Oh, my gosh. And it had stayed up her nose her whole life. Oh, and we, my we gosh, found, gosh. We found it because her boyfriend complained that she had bad breath and she had to take care of it before he would marry her. Wow. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. It was very exciting. Now, but here's the other thing. The other thing is, a scientist named Scott Harper once said that there's four kinds of people. People who have bad breath and know it, usually because they've been told. Right. People right. who have bad breath but don't know it because nobody in their family has had the guts to tell them. To tell them, <laughs> yes. People who don't have bad breath but know they don't have bad breath. Okay. And people who don't have bad breath but think they do. Oh. And this is the biggest problem. Because among the thousands of people who came to me, about a third of them were people who really didn't have bad breath. Among mm. other reasons, their parents, for example, had bad breath, and they thought that they must have. Oh. oh. Okay. Interesting. Mm. So... For about 20 years, I had a career smelling people. I wrote a lot of papers on how people smell themselves and how to diagnose bad breath. And I lectured all over the world wow. to researchers and dentists. And then one day I had, this is true, because I, I had told my wife at the beginning, I said, listen, I'm going to get into bad breath. I'm going to have to <laughs> smell you sometimes. <laughs> To see, you know, here, try this, try that. And I would wake her in the morning. I have to smell so she your was breath. your guinea pig. That's how this works. Huh? Uh, not only not only my wife, like the whole apartment building. Sometimes. You're a brave man. Here goes Dr. Mel. I guess You're a brave yeah, they, man, Dr. Mel. Yeah. So, and I told my wife at the beginning, I said, you know, I have fallen into my treasure. Yes. Because this is something that people really... You know, outside of a few scientists in the industry who study bad breath for their mouthwashes and stuff and don't publish right. much, right? there weren't many scientists working on this. Wow. And it's an important problem. So I said to my It wife, is. Sure. I'm getting involved now 
I, this is my treasure. This is my career. It's a stinking subject. <laughs> it is. And she put up with it for many years. Bless her. She's a real trooper. In nice. my 40s, I, lear- I learned to play saxophone, and she put up with that, too. Um, <laughs> she, she's a terrific wife, and she also smells very good. Wonderful. Yeah, but after, after 20 years, and this is true, somebody come in for counseling, and I smelled her, and, and she said to me, have you ever thought about how weird this is? <laughs> yeah, and, I and mean, I, I guess. I said, well, what, what do you mean? She says, well, you know, people come in and they're strangers and you stick their, your nose into their mouths and you smell them. And I said there, you know, that is weird. <laughs> I'm weird. And I went home. I spoke to my wife. I said, look, I've been smelling people for 20 years. I have to stop. <laughs> That's it. And I did. And I did. About 15 years ago, I uh, took an early retirement from the university to do things from my heart. So I've been teaching creativity and innovation at colleges. I've performed as a musician in many countries. But my biggest love, as Jennifer knows, is for children's books. Yes. And for the past seven years, I've been really working very hard to write good picture books for children. And I have one coming out. This just came out last week in Hebrew. Yay, congratulations. Girl, I, Wonderful. Thank you. About, about a girl who wants to get accepted in her life. And she goes from door to door nice. and getting refused, humiliated, rejected, dejected. And finally, she has to, well, she decides to create her own door. And she creates uh, a special door at which, with which she can welcome other people. Oh, that's I nice. I love it. So I think that as, as scientists and as people, we have to create our own doors. Yes. So nice. Bad Breath w- w- was a door in my career. Jennifer and I have a dis- an on- ongoing discussion on writing fiction for children yes. and writing non- nonfiction. And I made an early decision. My first book was nonfiction about bacteria, mm-hmm. called Bacteria Galore by Sunday at Four. Ah, uh, okay. Nice. Thank you. But then when I... When I retired, I started to write fiction. And I hope you're going to ask me, why would a scientist write fiction for children? There you go, Jeff. Dr. Mel, <laughs> yeah. I have yes, a question. Jeff. Yes, sir. Why would a scientist <laughs> write fiction? Okay. So after about 30 years of looking for the way the world is, I found that it was much more fun to think about the way the world isn't. Now, I'm going to try oh. to explain that. As a scientist, you, know, you want to find the answer to things, right? And maybe there's one right answer, and you spend your whole career looking for the one answer. It right. could be the bacteria that cause bad breath, or why most of the hairs on my head have disappeared and just... <laughs> <laughs> 20, 20 are still there. Um, and we spend our whole careers looking for singular truths. Okay? Yes. And trying to find answers to the universe and hoping that we get something right. You know, you, very often scientists get things wrong. Yes. Uh, and then right. other scientists come along and try and improve their mistakes and they make other mistakes. Yes. But it's a lot more fun to create your own 
fictional truths. In other words, if I'm if I'm writing a story about a girl named Emily who goes from door to door and it becomes a book, which it did. Right. It becomes real. So we talk about fiction, but actually, when you write fiction, you create a universe which exists in the story. Yes, sir. And the imagination in a fiction story, I think, can help children develop the imagination that you need to have in order to be a really good scientist. That's, That's intriguing. That's intriguing. Yeah. I like that. So moving forward, are you going to expand that universe or create other universes with new fictions? That's a good question. <laughs> hey, thanks. You, you stumped him, Jeff. <laughs> no, I, you did. It, look, I'm going to say something that's really weird. It's easier to be a scientist than to write fiction for children. Oh, because, I believe that because, wholeheartedly. Because as Jennifer knows, as a writer for young children, and it doesn't matter whether it's fiction or nonfiction, one in several thousand manuscripts yeah. makes it to becoming a book. Yes. If you write a story and it doesn't become a book, then what is it? So in our books, we have a lot of ebooks, right? But yes. if you're creating a picture book, the picture book has to have pictures. Yep. And it costs sure. like ten or twenty thousand dollars to pay the illustrator if she he or she yes. is good. Yes. And you have to have the money for that. Yes. And so I have 20 really, I think they're good stories. Okay. Right? Of course, I would I would think they're good. So I have 20 universes waiting for somebody to discover them and turn my fiction into real fiction by finding an illustrator who will make real fictitious illustrations yes. of yeah. my stories. And then they become real. And, you know, the thing that works also really well, you know, with nonfiction, what I do, because, you know, I did my first picture book, Footprints Across the Planet. And that, to me, as writing as a scientist, it was words, but it was lyrical words, to my surprise. But when you're talking about putting illustrations, so in this case, these were photographs, but it's amazing and magical to see your words paired with illustrations or in my case, photographs. It brings everything alive. Well, and Je Jennifer, you, you know, I, you know, I'm a big fan of your, uh, of your children's books. Uh, well, and you. <laughs> and, you, and you, you do something that I really cannot do is because you write with a passion about science for children. Yes. That's and what I, I do. And my passion lies elsewhere. Right. My passion lies in goofy, wacky animals and, and characters that get lost and, and are challenged and, and want to be welcome and they want to find themselves. And I look at your work and I'm in awe. Well, thank you. But, but we decided last week <laughs> when I interviewed you that writing has to come for kids has to come from a passion. It does. It does. You know, and Jeff has his Zach and Zoe adventures as well, which is a magazine. And that's how he gets his passion for science out and space, particularly, you know, galactic space geek out there. So I think this is, you know, a great way to kind of pull all of this episode together and be like, you know, a lot of people think of scientists and engineers and people that do tech stuff as being 
only creative in what they do, you know, like for their work, but we all have different things that we do to express ourselves in other creative ways where our interests also kind of drift in and amongst it, right? I think Dr. Mel said it perfectly earlier when he said that scientists think between boxes. I love that. I I actually wrote that down right there. Very good. It's a good (laughs) sentence. Um, I've written a book about it. I'll send it to you. There you go. Wonderful. So we are at that point in our chat, though, where we ask our guests to give our listeners a challenge. I'm very curious to hear what your challenge will be, Dr. Mel. It can be about bad breath. It could be about being creative. What do you want us all to try? Oh, my goodness. What a challenge. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to change my challenge then. Sure. Okay. My challenge is now, how would you define a creative person? Ooh. Ah. And after you've finished writing adjectives, 10 adjectives, to the kids know what adjectives are, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Because most adults don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> after you've written 10 adjectives to describe creative people, who do you think are the creative people in this world? Ooh. Ah. I love that. I like that. This that is going to make people think. There yeah. you go. Well, and perhaps look at others differently, right? Instead of putting them into a box, think ar- between the boxes. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Dr. thank Bell, you so thank you so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on Solve It for Kids. And and I love what you guys are doing and it's a real joy. And thank you so much. Well, I definitely learned a ton from Dr. Mel and had no idea (laughs) that there were that many different causes of the problem of bad breath. Yes. But I love the way Dr. Mel's mind works. When he said scientists think between boxes and then they make connections between those boxes, and how he yes. shifted the conversation from bad breath and that stinky conversation into his challenge of how would you define a creative person and who are the creative people in this world? What yeah. a brilliant way of thinking. And I really hope it has opened some of our listeners' minds the way it has mine during this episode. Yes, exactly. And, you know, because a lot of people don't necessarily think of scientists and engineers as creative people. Mm. And they understand that they have to think outside the box, so to speak, because they have to come up with solutions to problems. But I loved how he said, think between the boxes, which is almost even more amazing and kind of, you know, groundbreaking because it gives us all of this perfect visual of what they're trying to do. When you think about it, scientists, are considering solutions, but maybe the one that they're looking for is right in the middle. So this is a great challenge. I hope all of you try this. And if you do, make sure you tag us on our social media. We are at Kids Solve at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to check out our website, solveforkids.com, where we will have information 
about all of the products that Dr. Mel created, <laughs> and also information about the books that he wrote and the ones that he promotes. So you can kind of balance science with creativity. Absolutely, and that balance is exactly what Dr. Mel sort of brought to the show today. And right. I know whether we've got adult listeners or all of you young listeners, a lot of us are thinking about something that needs a solution that's in between those boxes. So hopefully today, spark that creativity to find that solution. Until next time, you'll hear Jen and Jeff on Solve, Solve It, it for, for Kids. kids.